You're listening to Theology for the Rest of Us. You've got tough questions. We'll try to give you easy answers. Now, here's your host, Kenny Ortiz. Welcome back to another episode of Theology for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Kenny Ortiz. Thank you for listening today. And I am on the line with my friend Matt McAfee. Uh, We literally just met on Facebook uh, in the last 24 hours and got a chance to chat with him uh, over the last few minutes and really excited about what he's got to share. Matt is a pastor in Iowa, and I'm excited for some of the words he's going to share with you today. Matt, thanks for joining. How you feeling, man? Man, I'm doing so well. Kenny, thank you so much for having me on the show today. This is a great show. I'm uh, I'm excited to chat. Uh, For our listeners that are listening regularly, we did an episode where we talked about uh, the gifts of the Spirit, or we kind of unpacked what is cessationism, what is charismatic uh, Christianity, what is continualism. And so I got Matt on the line today because I think he's got some great thoughts on on the kind of the the, the non-weirdness of the, the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people, I think, are afraid of the Holy Spirit just because Christians make it weird and Christians make it odd. And so people get afraid of it. So Matt's got some really good thoughts. Matt, tell me a little bit about your story, kind of where you're at today, and uh, why you believe that it's important for people to engage with the Holy Spirit. So yeah, so basically I watched this documentary by a illusionist named Darren Brown called Miracles for Sale. Um, and pretty much what he did was he wanted to expose Pentecostal evangelists as frauds um, because he thought they were exploiting people for money. Um, so he had people like a guy named Peter Popoff, who is a guy of televangelist in the 1980s who claimed to have words of knowledges, but actually he had an earpiece uh, and his wife was feeding him information uh, from the back room. Um, and so what, what Darren did was that he took an atheist guy, uh, told him how to speak as a Pentecostal minister, told him how to do an altar service as a Pentecostal minister, and he told him like basic like manipulation, hypnosis techniques um, to get people like slaying the spirit, uh, feeling sorts of things, kind of raising like an atmosphere. And so it's really interesting. So he has this atheist guy who doesn't believe in God, but knows all the tricks. And he holds a revival service in Texas, and he's laying hands on people, and people are falling down, slaying the spirit. And uh, he's faking miracles, and he's doing all this stuff, and he raises up an offering, and they give him, you know, a couple of grand. And uh, and I looked at this, and I was, I mean, this is where I grew up in, uh, Pentecost, and uh, the excitement, and the, the energy, and the feeling of all of it. And I had this, like, crisis of faith, a renaissance of faith, like, is this what it's about? Am I... Uh, raping people for the like am I raping the true anointing like am I just taking it for myself and what I can get from it am I actually experiencing God's presence did I actually have a a real encounter with God during that time Um, and so that led me to a journey of faith that asked some serious questions from people like my father who I trusted and uh, pastors Um, and so and I went through a long time of really wrestling the cessationist thing because it's just cleaner it's a lot cleaner to say, listen, the gifts of the Spirit don't work today. So there's no prophecy. There's no miracles. There's nothing outside of the canon. And that was really intriguing to me because it's like, man, that makes my job a whole lot easier. I don't have to, don't have to worry about like, okay, what is really God and what is really man and what is really uh, who's weird and who's not weird. Um, and so I struggled with that a lot. And that sent me to, I, again, I talked to pastors and I talked to family members, people I trusted, but I read. I read a lot. And so I read several books that really helped me out. The God I Never Knew by Robert Morris was one. 
uh, How to Be Pentecostal Without Speaking in Tongues by Tony Campolo. Probably the best book in the Holy Spirit ever read. Um, Holy Fire by R.T. Kendall, and that was in response to John MacArthur's Strange Fire uh, that came out in around 2012, 2013. Um, and just others, Forgotten God, Francis Chan. But then just rereading the scriptures and seeing, okay, in our kind of Pentecostal world, what actually lines up with scripture and what doesn't line up with scripture. And there's a lot of stuff that just didn't line up. And so at the time, during this whole uh, renaissance of faith, I was, <laughs> at that point, I was like a 4.5, five-point Calvinist attending a hyper-charismatic, birthed out of the Word of Faith movement church, like where the pastor traveled with Kenneth Hagin. And so author services were nothing more than a circus show. Uh, I say that with, with deep respect because I actually uh, have grown uh, uh, to love the church and the pastor is one of the mis- most genuine men. I know it's just that that's the culture where he was discipled and, you know, um, but so you'd have several people speaking in tongues all at the same time. You know, they're doing the prayer language or at or you in a chapel, the uh, president be like, all right, now you all speak in tongues now. And it's like, ah, you know, first Corinthians, <laughs> you know, uh, if you, if you can speak in tongues, there needs to be interpretation. Why do we have speaking tongues in the first place? You know, uh, if you have a prior prayer language, it's supposed to be exactly that a private prayer language. Um, and so just measuring up those kind of things, uh, in scripture, as far as order, uh, how the Holy Spirit works, how the Holy Spirit operates. But the biggest thing that I've learned, uh, is that the Holy Spirit isn't weird. And that's what I love telling people is that the Holy Spirit isn't weird. People are weird. You know, people are crazy, right. yeah. but the Holy Spirit isn't weird. And so these, those same people who do weird things in the name of the Holy Spirit, they would do weird things that they were like stamp collectors. You know, they'd be crazy stamp collectors, but now they're collecting the Holy Spirit. And I think it gives them some sort of added value to that. Um, and that helps me out a lot to know, because I think the, the main argument with cessationism is, is just that it cleans up some of the mess that continualism has, uh, because we say that there are gifts of spirit. It's just easier to say, no, it's easier to have a, an orderly church service without the gifts of the spirit in operation. Uh, but when you have a conversation with someone like you or from me who believe in divine order and who believe that the Holy Spirit is there to, number one, glorify Jesus above everything else, that he's not there for a, a sideshow act and he's not uh, uh, just uh, a, the, a kooky spirit flowing around the room. He's not the weird uncle you don't want to invite to your kid's birthday party. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we all have that weird uncle. Right. But he's actually God. He's the personal presence of Christ himself. And so to to subtract his power and to subtract his presence from the Christian life, I think is a huge mistake. And so cessationism, I'm, I'm afraid, um, is flawed based on the framework that it, we, I mean, all, we all look at the Bible and our theology through some sort of frame of experience. I think we could all say that whether we like to or not. And so somewhere along the way, miracles stopped happening in the local church. I don't know when that happened because none of the, none of the Bible authors were cessationists. They're all continualists. Uh, in fact, to hear probably if, if the Apostle Paul is sitting here with us to say, there's people who don't believe that the gifts work today. Like, that's crazy. Like, no one who wrote the Bible could say that God's power all of a sudden stopped working among people. Yeah, we all look through this, some sort of experience. So somewhere along the way, someone said, okay, the apostles experienced this kind of power. We no longer do. Can we rationalize it with Scripture? So... They saw miracles. We no longer see miracles. Surely it's not on us. Surely it's not because of our lack of faith, or maybe we prayed and we prayed full of faith, but something didn't happen. 
So maybe there's something we can rationalize in Scripture in which we can have a cessationist worldview. And usually that comes from 1 Corinthians 13, smack dab in between 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 about the spiritual gifts. You have the gift of uh, the, the chapter on love, and it says something to the effect of, you know, tongues will cease, prophecy will cease uh, when the perfect comes. And so many Protestants, the stationists today say, oh, that perfect was the Bible. So no, that we, now that we have the canon, now that we have the Bible, we no longer need the spiritual gifts. The problem with that is two verses later, it says this, for now we see through a glass darkly, but soon we'll see face to face. So the perfect that he's talking about is not a book. It's a person. So it's not the complete canon of scripture, although I wholly believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, infallible, useful for reproof and for doctrine uh, and teaching. But uh, when it comes to the perfect, he's, he's talking about the person of Jesus. In heaven, there is, there is no prophecy. Why do we need prophesy when we have the person we're prophesying about right in front of us? Why do we need to speak in tongues when we can communicate with the person we're talking to? You know, um, and all we don't need spiritual, there'll be no preaching in heaven to which I'm very relieved. So I don't have to work on sermons any longer, you know. Uh, <laughs> and, and even when Jesus comes back, there, there has to be a point where all these things, these uh, superficial things, that are, are gifts for us that are useful for our benefit, useful for building up the local church, useful for bringing glory to Jesus. Once Jesus is there in his fullness of glory, we're, they're not going to be needed anymore. But until then, I would argue that the gifts are still valid and useful for today. Matt, you mentioned a moment ago uh, that there were some things that didn't line up with the scripture. You know, kind of just as you were kind of looking at your own history of your own personal Christianity, as well as reading through the scriptures and reading a lot of those great books that you you mentioned. You said there were some things that didn't line up with the scriptures. What specifically are you talking about there? I'm, I'm specifically talking about, and no offense to my Pentecostal listeners, I'm a full-fledged Pentecostal speaking in tongues. Uh, love it. But uh, when you have scripture plainly says that if they have tongues speaking, there, there needs to be uh, things in order. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <clears throat> I'll try this again. Specifically, I'm talking about tongues. Uh, tongues and prophecy that uh, so essentially it, it comes down to tongues because uh, growing up I only knew two things about the Holy Spirit number one uh, the Holy Spirit showed up if someone got healed and the Holy Spirit showed up into a service someone spoke in tongues whether that be a personal prayer language or uh, tongue and interpretation uh, or something of the like the problem that I've seen was especially in the charismatic churches that I've attended in the charismatic university I attended uh, tongues is such like an, an anchor gift, you know, uh, it's common theology for the Pentecostal charismatic movement to associate the baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues, which I personally do. If you don't, that's completely fine. Uh, but there are three different kinds of tongues that talks about in the scriptures. You have uh, you have the one where a tongue of a, of a known language. So the Holy Spirit gives you a known language to witness or to evangelize someone outside your language group. You have the tongue of uh, of an unknown language, uh, mostly an angelic language, followed by interpretation that is similar to prophecy. It's usually there to encourage the local body of believers. And then you have the individual prayer language, which I think that the Holy Spirit wants to give each and every believer. Um, so when people start using the individual prayer language uh, in a tone that's supposed to be for the rest of the church— uh, or something along those lines where you have everyone in the church now speaking in tongues to the rest of the building. I like what Paul says. Like if I, if an unbeliever walks into a church and sees everyone speaking gibberish uh, tongues, 
whatever you want to call it, they're going to think you're crazy and they're going to walk out. But tongues are supposed to be a sign for the unbeliever, so do it decently and in order. So if you have someone who has a message in tongues, I personally believe that it should be submitted to spiritual authority. That means going up to your pastor and saying, hey, uh, <laughs> I think I have a message in tongues. The pastor says it's either a good time or a bad time. They give the message in tongues. Uh, someone has an interpretation. And then it, the whole body is encouraged. Uh, I've only seen this really happen well once. And that was in my church uh, that I attended in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And it was well, at first I was annoyed because I thought it was some crazy lady, but it was actually beautiful. So worship had ended. I was sitting in the balcony, and uh, it was just a it was just a still still moment. I just like peace, and all of a sudden, this lady from the back row of the balcony starts speaking in tongues, and I'm like, "Oh crap! Here we go." Some crazy lady walks up the street, starts speaking in tongues, but then she, and I was like, "All right," but then she gave the interpretation, and it was so relevant to the church that that day. Um, so it's just, but then I've also seen, uh, we had uh, a couple people in our church back in Tulsa where they just didn't understand the gifts of the Spirit. Um, and so they would, they would walk in and start, you know, their own personal prayer language, uh, no interpretation, completely weird, completely uh, forced. And when we try to correct them, like, hey, do you know what the difference between like a prayer language and, you know, and uh, tongue interpretation? No. Well, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you should like read First Corinthians a couple of times, kind of understand what that is, and then be completely offended that we're trying to quote unquote quench the spirit uh, because we didn't let them speak in tongues whenever they want to. The problem is with with being in a church, and the purpose of the church is for several things, but but Paul, I think it's we have to be welcoming and opening to non-believers that non-believers will be present and. Uh, to just do whatever makes us feel good or whatever songs that make us feel good or it's just speaking in tongues whenever we want to, if that's going to be uh, distracting from the true message of Jesus, then I have a problem. And so mostly tongues, uh, but yeah, just the general craziness of, you know, we talk about you know, altar services, like uh, <laughs> I don't know why you need to push someone down at the altar. You know, uh, if you get slain in the spirit, that's great. I think it's perfectly logical. I, I don't know if there's any true biblical support to support quote-unquote slaying the spirit. It makes sense to me that the power of God can come on someone so powerful that they can't stand any longer. Um, but uh, you don't need to push someone down. You definitely don't need to breathe on them. I've seen people like like breathe on them like the your breath is like the Holy Spirit going to knock them down or something. Uh, and I remember being in a church service one time. They had an altar service, and you know, people are falling down left and right. And by falling down, I don't know if it was, they got pushed or it was a courtesy fall. I've done both. Uh, but we had this lady up there with, she was holding her baby and the pastor went to lay her hands and she starts falling. I'm like, oh, someone better catch that baby. Like, you better watch it. <laughs> and just kind of like the, the lack of discernment and just wisdom in some of those situations, I think that would really clear it up for even cessationists. I think, uh, like I said before, I think the most problem that cessationists have is just that it's so messy. And it's so unpredictable, and it's weird. And uh, I think more cessations would be open to the work in the Spirit if they realized that uh, to be a truly continuationist is to be rooted in the Scripture and to do things decent and in order. That's really good. Just for, for quick clarity's sake, if anyone's listening to this that maybe has not listened to any of the previous episodes, a cessationist is someone who believes that the, that the moving and the tangible gifts of the Holy Spirit has ceased— and a continualist believes they have continued. Uh, both Matt and I are in the continualist camp. Um, 
And so I, I'm with you, Matt. I think I agree. I mean, I remember being at, you know, my, my old Pentecostal summer camps in the 90s and we'd fall down and shake like we're fish out of water. And, you know, we, you know, we, that was the and, and I'm not even saying that that there's that that's can't be legitimate for 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 some people. Like maybe there's sure. someone out there that, like like you, I think you just said it perfectly right now. Really well. Like I think it's plausible that someone is having an encounter with the Holy Spirit that it is just so beyond what we understand that it causes them just to do something that could be perceived wrong. You know, right. hey, maybe the power of God is just so real. They just, they fall down, not because they've been slain, you know, like you know, they just, they just can't stand anymore. And maybe yeah. sometimes it's emotional. Maybe because the, the moment is so emotionally driven that yeah. you're emotionally exhausted. It could be. Um, and I, I think you, I think you said it well, I, I think it's plausible. I think what I've seen, what you just said a moment ago was just that we begin to now kind of manufacture those moments. Right. Um, well, can I add on to that, Kenny? Yeah. See, the problem with most people, uh, especially in the Pentecostal charismatic moment, you're talking about you know your youth group experience back in the 90s. Most people's theology of the Holy Spirit, most people's experience of the Holy Spirit, goes back to those first encounters. Um, right. So, like, so when someone has a, an incredible encounter, like uh, someone gets slain in the Spirit, then every experience of the Holy Spirit has to end with someone getting slain in the Spirit. Or if someone is just you know, they, if they go to a youth group or a youth conference and everyone's speaking in tongues and now it's just a really powerful moment for them, then it's rare for someone to move past that and see the grander view. Even it's like, hey, Kenny, I know what I believe. Don't confuse me with the Bible. OK, <laughs> we see that for me. Right, right. Yeah. And so I think most people, uh, the problem with continuation, the problem I've had is that they, they refuse to move past their first point of reference. And when it comes to the gifting of the spirit. Matt, that's a really great point you just pointed out. I don't think I'd ever quite thought about that, and it's probably accurate for a lot of areas of our theology, probably not just the Holy Spirit. Um, Absolutely. But that's that's a really great point. If someone first encountered God in this way, then they assume that every encounter with God must be similar to that. Well, I mean, let's just think about this from another uh, standpoint. Sex, if I can talk about sex here. Um, Absolutely. I, 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 Kenny's like, hey, all right, this be give me some more downloads. That's right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, psychologists say that, like, when you have your first sexual experience, your mind just goes crazy. And it's taking pictures of everything, trying to remember the first moments of this glorious encounter, right? And so I remember hearing a, a preacher named Mark Gunger. Mark Gunger is a marriage counselor, and uh, he him he was counseling a a couple who was having some serious sex problems in their marriage, and uh, the guy just wasn't interested and uh and his wife just didn't know why and he asked him like, well did you have sex before you got married he goes yeah he goes well what happened he goes well you know it was an older woman and we went to some sort of motel and uh it was a trashy motel and had green curtains and all this stuff and and he said okay so are you just never interested in sex with your wife and he and he says oh no i can be get, i can get into sex you know if we maybe like go out for dinner go to a hotel he goes don't you see what you've done you've conditioned yourself mm-hmm. you've conditioned yourself to that certain experience and i think the same way like you said from all of our theology all of our experiences that we tend to not to go past that first one and not that it's impossible but we have to be intentional about moving past it man it's a, a really great point matt uh last question you know th- there are people out there that would say that cessationism is true because of the Bible. And they would they would often give, as you said, you know, First Corinthians thirteen is kind of the go to uh, passage of scripture. You're yeah. kind of you're kind of making the point that you think a lot of the times it's there's there's an experience that comes to the table 
um, because we had an experience of the Holy Spirit that was negative, or because we see it being abused by by a lot of charismatic churches, we want to reject it altogether. Uh, when, whenever you have a conversation with someone who has that opinion, how do you typically approach that person? That's an excellent point um, and a great question. Uh, yeah, I definitely do believe. I'm not. It's a tough thing because, and first and foremost, like if if a person's listening and they're a cessationist, by no means I have all the answers, and by no means I have some sort of perfect revelation. Um, and of course, a cessationist would be my brother in Christ. There's nothing that can separate that. Uh, but I would argue with them as a brother uh, to first and foremost, I would like to know their experience um, because there has to be something along the way, whether either they have experienced something negative or did not experience anything at all that made them think that the same God who called fire from the heavens, the same God who raised Christ from the dead, who supposedly still dwells in us, the same God of all power, of all might and all majesty somehow decided to quit showing up to work. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so I'd like to understand those experiences and what drove them to that because I've had similar experiences. Uh, I prayed for people and I thought the prayer was good. I was full of faith and they didn't get healed. And I've been in situations where I prayed for people and I didn't feel faith at all and they got healed, you know, and or or something vice versa. Um, our, the thing about God is that he does not live up to our expectations. He, he goes beyond them, but he... He doesn't uh, meet it to our. He doesn't meet our expectations. I like what you got. You have the, the the John the Baptist, right? He's in jail. He's I'm I'm assuming he's pretty frustrated because he's in jail while his cousin's out uh, <laughs> ministering to all his felt his uh, former disciples and so on and so forth. And John has lived his whole life as a hermit, and now he's about ready to face execution. He, so he goes to Jesus and says. Jesus, you're healing all these people. Come set me free. Are you the one who's supposed to, are you really the Messiah? And Jesus looks at him and says, look at all this. You're stuck in jail, but the blind are receiving their sight. The deaf are walking and the poor have good news preached to them. And then he says this, blessed are those who are not offended by me. So we all serve in some way or another because of God's sovereignty. He does not, he does not meet our expectations where that looks like. And so the and the problem is that we always we sometimes get offended, right? So yeah. we I prayed, but it didn't happen, or I did this and it didn't happen. It's like no, 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 no. Blessed are those who are not offended by me. And so I th- I think it would be a mistake for someone to have an experience, a negative experience, or um, to have no experience at all. Just assume that oh, that must be the way it's got to be. Then that's really that's a, a really great thought, man. I think I know I've been guilty of that. I think in a lot of areas of my life, if I'm honest. Uh, where God hasn't quite done it the way I wanted him to do it. Where right. they, you know, I got offended by that. And then all of a sudden, um, I be, I begin to now allow that to influence my thoughts and to begin to inform how I do things instead of really looking at the scripture objectively. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and like I said before, I cessation is it just it's and I, I say this with all due respect to any of my cessationist brothers out there, it's just completely lacking biblical support. No biblical author is a cessationist. I just want people to have a a real, authentic, non-spooky relationship with the Holy Spirit. And that was my interview with Matt McAfee. Man, great, great interview. I did that several weeks ago. And just looking back on that and thinking to myself, that was some great insights. I really love uh, several things he said. I really love the fact he talked about the, um, the fact that, you know, the Holy Spirit doesn't have to be weird. We can engage the Holy Spirit 
in, in, in every part of our lives in seemingly very normal ways. Um, I'm always a little hesitant to want to say I want to make the Holy Spirit normal because the Holy Spirit is not normal. He's not natural. He's supernatural, right? He does supernatural things. So, uh, but, but again, doing supernatural things in terms of guiding us and leading us and molding us and, and infusing spiritual gifts into our lives, but doing it over the course of our days in, in seemingly normal moments in a way that is not spooky or weird, but in a way that really points people to Jesus, really reveals who Jesus is. I thought Matt gave so many great insights and encouragements throughout the course of that interview that really point us to to that. I really thought he uh, really, I think, elaborated on his own journey of kind of like realizing there's lots of things about his charismatic background that wasn't quite in line with the scripture, but he didn't want to just throw it out. You know, he didn't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I think that's where that's where maybe we have some issues on either side. You know, we got one camp that maybe is doing things in a very weird or non-biblical way, or it's abusive in some ways, but it's not all wrong. And we have the other camp, the cessationist camp, is saying, you see those charismatics, see how wrong they are, and just completely ignore it. And I know Matt said it early in the interview. You know, it's just cleaner to be cessationist and just say, listen, I'm not going to deal with that. I don't want to wrestle through that. So just, just gonna, I'm just going to let that go. Um, but I really appreciate that he's saying, like, even though it's cleaner to just be a cessationist, he doesn't necessarily see that in Scripture and, and again, with all due respect to my my cessationist brethren, I, I agree with Matt. I, I'm not a cessationist. I do believe that God has continued to work today in the lives of his people using the same spiritual gifts that he used way back in the first century. And so I, I appreciate Matt's articulation of that. I really appreciate that. I felt he was very respectful and cautious and then just really honest, like, Hey, he, you know, he's a charismatic. He's in that movement. He's in the, the Pentecostal movement, but he's you know honest enough to look around and say, some of my people are weird. Some of my people are wrong. Like this is not the way it ought to be. So I really, really felt those were some great words. I want to encourage everyone uh, to take some of those, take some of that, some of that advice uh, that Matt gave. And I love how he closed it out. He just said, I want every person to have a non-spooky quality friendship with the Holy Spirit, a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage every single person chase after and cultivate a quality friendship with the Holy Spirit. I want to also remind you, check out some of the books that Matt said. Uh, if you don't have those written down or you don't know what he said, that's fine. You can head over to our website, theologyfortherestofus.com. Look at the show notes for this episode, episode 93, and you can, uh, if, you know, if, you, if you can't find it, there's a search box, just type Matt McAfee or just type, you know, Holy Spirit, not weird or whatever. This episode will pop right up. And you'll be able to see there links to all of the books. You can just click there. That'll take you right over to Amazon uh, to where you can purchase maybe one or two or all of those books that Matt mentioned. I think those would be a great resource to you. Big shout out to my friend, Matt. I know you're listening to this. Thank you so much for all of your incredible wisdom and insight in this interview. I think it was really fantastic and really going to be valuable to a lot of people. Uh, to all of our listeners, big thank you for listening today. I know this is ep- episode is longer than our norm, so thank you for hanging with us. Really appreciate all of our regular listeners. I sure hope this has been helpful and insightful and a quality resource to you. If you're listening to this and you have a question that you'd like me to answer, whether it's a follow-up question to this episode or maybe it's a topic that's completely unrelated to this, uh, whatever it is, if you have a question you'd like me to address on the podcast, please feel free to shoot me an email. I promise I will do an episode on every topic that comes my way. The best email address is heyortiz at theologyfortherestofus.com. That's H-E-Y-O-R-T-I-Z at theologyfortherestofus.com. Also, quick reminder, please make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. You can find us in any podcast catching app. 
That's uh, the iTunes app, uh, Google Play, uh, any podcast catching app on Android, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Spreaker, all the above. Make sure you are subscribed. It guarantees that every episode gets delivered directly to your device. If you'd like to connect with me personally, the best way to do that is on Twitter. You can find me at Kenneth Ortiz. It's K-E-N-N-E-T-H-O-R-T-I-Z. I'm Kenny Ortiz, and this has been Theology for the Rest of Us.